Hey, Pinkers, I'm Mike Levy, your sometime host for these podcasts. Today, we're talking all things Value Bike Field Trip. So if you've been on Pink Bike over the last few weeks, you might have seen a handful of video reviews of relatively inexpensive bikes. Uh, I think right now the Canyon Stoic, the Vita Sentier, and the Norco Fluid are all live. That Canyon, $1,200. Uh, the Vitas is $1,449. And the most expensive of our 10 value bike test bikes is a $3,000 Ripley AF. Uh, now, there are a load more video reviews on the way. Five hardtails and five full suspension bikes altogether. So I'm going to give you a spoiler alert right now. On today's podcast, we're talking about how the bikes performed, a bunch of things that we liked, some things that we definitely didn't like, even on the value bike, and some things that surprised us. To do that, I've got Sarah Moore here who tested all of these value bikes with me on the Sunshine Coast. Sarah, you did the impossible climb and the efficiency test this time around instead of me. Thank Jeebus. Now I've done a bunch of those. I want to know what you... Did you have fun doing those? I quite enjoyed the impossible climb. The mm. efficiency test was not quite as much fun, I would say. The impossible climb is kind of a fun challenge like if you enjoy technical climbing to try to get each bike up the hill a little bit further um the efficiency tests holding the same number of watts on a gravel climb kind of felt like doing intervals and i don't really miss doing intervals there's a reason i don't race cross country anymore you know how bad did you smash levy's uh, power output oh i more than doubled it no problem time for me to retire <laughs> <laughs> No, please come back and do efficiency tests. <laughs> Sarah, how long did it take to do the efficiency test? Just so people have an idea altogether. It's you, two filmers? Uh, yeah, there was, I think, three of us out on the gravel road, and it pretty much took all day. First, we had to get all of the bikes, which there's 10 bikes, get them all packed into the two different trucks, bring them up the climb. It was also pretty cold in the morning. So we, yeah, we, I think we started filming right away, but it was, the first couple climbs were pretty chilly and you warmed yeah, up there, there's always way. like, there was a couple little glitches that happened and you know, it, it wasn't like flawless. Hopefully the video will make it look hundred percent flawless, but for sure there was a couple little glitches, had to do a couple runs, you know, more than, more than once. Listen to these people complain about going for bike rides for their job it's incredible it's yeah. Bike yeah. Ride. I mean, <laughs> uphill gravel bike riding is not a thing especially when there's no good downhill that's yeah <laughs> yeah just staring at a little number on a thing and being like stay there stay there stay there okay harder go slower faster slower faster so yeah it was uh i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily call it a bike ride i didn't even record it on my strava really I definitely would have recorded that. That's, that's a lot of climbing. A lot well, I had of to do the, had to record the time, and I had to record the power, so I couldn't also put it on my sure. Strava. That would be too much. So, Sarah, I have two more questions for you before we move on and introduce our next guest. Uh, one, so there were five hardtails and five full suspension bikes. Without spoiling the video, were the hardtails faster than the full suspension bikes? I don't want to know who won yet. Yes. Okay, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where did you also, where did you do the impossible climb this time around? Uh, we did it the same spot as you did it the last couple times on nine mile climb, which I thought was going to be full on sunshine first thing in the morning. It wasn't. Um, but yeah, pretty steady gravel climb. It's kind of hard to find one that's that yeah. good for this test. You, you want it to be pretty 
good gravel and not too steep and good gravel everybody good gravel <laughs> mountain bikers right now are like what's good gravel <laughs> smooth you know not too many bumps yeah. not too many baby heads like so you, yeah. you yeah try to choose the same line and it'll be a consistent result i guess yeah yeah and and how did that impossible climb go you said you had fun doing it was it harder than you expected was it dry was it easier than you expected well to be completely honest i went out on a dry day and set my course and then I came back and we were filming on a beautiful sunny day, but the day after it poured with rain. So I actually had to start a little bit later because the first section I couldn't actually clean anymore. Yeah. So we started a little bit further up the hill and it was still pretty challenging. And there was a ton of routes and every, I thought I was going to stop at the same point. Yeah. And every single climb, I think each bike ended at a different place. So that's that's good. I was pretty it's happy with that. Yeah. It's obviously the bikes were, it just was really perfectly attuned to their performance. We can call this pure right. science. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No pseudoscience here. It was all pure science. I hit the roots exactly the same angle every time, the same amount of power. And uh, yeah, the, the bike that won is the best climbing bike, but it didn't win the efficiency test. Ooh. Is that Ooh. too much spoilers? <laughs> no, that's good. That'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I've also got my unpaid intern here. As usual, Mike Casimir. He's here to make sure I don't talk about UAPs, USOs, and other transmedium spacecraft the entire time. Unless you want me to, Kaz. Man, I don't know what all those words mean. So maybe one of these days you need to give me the rundown. Get me up to speed. Casimir, and also since you've been gone so the ocean. long. They're in the ocean. <laughs> I got to look into this. I saw the green flying triangle, so I'm getting up to speed. But since you've been gone so long, you missed out the announcement that I'm not unpaid anymore. Oh, shit. Yeah. So now you? I'm your boss, but even like higher above. I'm like two bosses above you. Yeah, oh, so I'm double boy. boss. Yeah. Even you just took too long of a time out. It's all a blur for me. Uh -huh. You're all my bosses. So I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Nothing, nothing really changes. Just, just to be fair, you, Kaz, you were still his boss even when you were the unpaid intern. Oh, yeah. I know that. Also. <laughs> So we should probably keep this podcast on topic, though, and to help me do that, we've got Brian Park here, as usual, to make sure that we're chatting about bikes, uh, be it value or some expensive exotica. And before we get to the news, make sure to subscribe and give us a 5 out of 5 flying saucer rating on whichever app you're listening to us on. And speaking of news, Sarah, before we argue about value bikes, do you want to hit us with that? This week, Niner released a new bike, the Niner WFO. The Niner WFO was one of the first long travel 29ers way back in 2009. And after fading from the lineup for a couple of years, it's back for 2021 or 2022. I think it's actually a 2022 bike, they said. It now has 170 millimeters of rear travel, 180 millimeter fork, and a design that Niner claims is optimized for all out, top to bottom, brake rotor bluing descents. I thought that was a great line. Kaz, you wrote the first look on the Niner WFO 9 RDO. First of all, what do all those three-letter acronyms stand for? There's so many acronyms. And then there are people <laughs> in the comments calling us or calling me out because they're not actually acronyms or abbreviations, but I don't care. I like the word acronym better. So WFO, they call it wide full open. It's supposed to be wide fucking open, but they're a company that has to, you know, they're companies that can't say the F word too much. So it's wide <laughs> full open. Uh, RDO, it's like, I can't even remember now. I just ride. Is, is it race, race day only? Yeah. Something like that. I'm race just guessing. Developed. It is something racing. I should look at this, but <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of acronyms either way. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you said that you liked 
the color, you weren't a fan of its melted in the sun looks, or maybe some of those acronyms, abbreviations. Most importantly, though, what are your initial thoughts on like how it rides and who it'd be suited to? Yeah, it's an interesting bike as far as how much travel it has and um, how well it pedals. It's one of those super efficient bikes. Like Levy would probably get along with how it feels under power when you're climbing. There's not a ton of bob for how much, like I said, for how much travel it has. Um, the geometry and everything's it's pretty modern. Um, it's an interesting bike, and it doesn't feel like a race bike. It doesn't feel like it wants to go crazy fast. It did come with 2.6-inch tires front and rear, so it kind of has that sort of bigger, more a little bit monster trucky, but not like a need for speed type of bike. How to wreck a bike one-on-one, put 2.6 inch tires on it. Yeah. It's your favorite tire though in the back, Levy, is the Hans Dampf. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of hard to know exactly who it's for. I can see just someone that, you know, there are riders that just want a lot of travel, but don't need the absolute longest, slackest, most need for speed kind of bike out there. It's kind of like cruising around. You could hit anything you want and be comfortable. It's more about comfort than all out speed, I'd say. So Kaz, my experience with Niners in the past uh, have been pretty efficient bikes. Um, sometimes they have some great suspension, but the geometry definitely leans towards maybe slightly less aggressive riding for whichever category of bike it is. Um, is that also the case with this new version as well? Not to- uh, partially. Like the head angle is in the in the lowest setting, which I'm going to, I think most people run it in that setting. Head angle is 64 degrees, which isn't out of the ordinary for this yeah. type of bike. We're seeing slacker for sure, and we will continue to see slacker up to a point. Um, but the seat angle is still relatively slack on this bike. So we got like some of, you know, some of the numbers are, you know, I'd say totally modern. Other ones are a little bit not quite as modern. Um, I got along with the fit of it, like my climbing position, but the seat angle is slack. So taller riders may end up further back than they want. Chainstays are pretty short, which some people like, but again, we're starting to see longer chainstays for more stability. So, yeah. Okay. My next question for you, if you had the chance to ride and own the best riding bike you've ever ridden in your life, but it's also literally the ugliest bike you've ever seen, (laughs) how much of a factor is that if you were thinking about buying a bike? Like this is going to be the most amazing bike you've ever ridden for four years, which is a long time in the mountain bike world. But it's also like you literally can't look at it without a tiny bit of vomit coming up in your mouth. Do looks matter to you that much if the bike is amazing? I mean, they do matter, I think. But when you're riding, you don't really see the bike, so it's not as big of a deal. But I, I'm no, not I specifically guess talking about the Niner, everybody. No, in my mind, I had the Polygon Snuffleupagus bike I was thinking about. I like the way that looks. Yeah, which I didn't like. We know. I don't, I, if, if I was walking to a shop and going to buy a bike, I think looks matter to a certain amount. I mean... Just because you do have to live with it. You know, it's like the we talked about the Pontiac Aztec a while ago. I think we talked about that in one of the episodes. Which looks surprisingly expensive. (laughs) There we go. See, (laughs) which I would never own that car, I don't think. But uh, so come on. It's a classic. Yeah, it's ugly. I'll stick with my red one with the gray trim. It's got to be that or yellow. (laughs) Yeah. So it looks matter, but not, I think performance is definitely more important than looks. Like if you need to make it look a certain way to make it perform a certain way, I'm fine with that. So, I mean, yeah. And you're, yeah. So I think that, and the looks on, on this, they're going to be polarizing, but like I said, the color is awesome. It's like candy apple red. Yeah. We had another pretty polarizing first ride on the Polygon's new EMTV, the Mount Romo. It's also a pretty wild looking bike. It has an aluminum frame. It's a 29er. It's got 160 millimeters of travel front and rear, and it uses Shimano's EP8 504 watt hour battery and a six-bar suspension design that Polygon calls Independent Floating Suspension, or IFS, if you want some more three-letter abbreviations. 
There are two models, the N7, which retails for $4,399, and the N8 that retails for $5,999. What do you think, Kaz? Do you want to try this one out, or are you sticking to $13,000 EMTBs for now? And I'm pretty spoiled now. That $13,000 Levo, <laughs> I can't ride anything else. Uh, I'd ride this. I'd like to see how that suspension design works. Um, the one thing that I'm always a little bit disappointed to see is when new e-bikes come out that have batteries that aren't that big because ha- like having a battery die on you is the least fun thing ever. So this one has a 504 watt hour battery. Uh, we're starting to see more and more bikes come out with 700 or high sixes. And I think we're going to see some more come out with even 900. So, um, that's a little bit of a limiting factor, but the prices do look pretty reasonable for that for an e-bike. And if it, you know, pedals well, does all the things well, Levy. Kaz? Yes. Are all those links supposed to do the same thing as that sliding tube on the nailed suspension? Nailed suspension? Not really. This is closer to something like you'd find on a, I mean, like a specialized enduro where just it allows them to basically make the uh, leverage rate the way they want it to. So they can kind of decouple the way that the, the shock works and then the rest of the, I need to put this in better words, but. I mean, honestly, Seb does an amazing job of explaining it in the video um, better than I've seen a lot of like that bike hurts my brain when you first look at it. And then he does a really good job of showing how those things are decoupled. So if you have a sec, you can give that a watch dear listeners. Yeah. I thought it was kind of interesting. They went like that far out with the suspension design for e-bikes. I'm not convinced that they need the most sophisticated suspension designs because you have a motor. So I feel like a typical four bar, like it's not like your climbing performance matters as much. You don't need an ultra efficient climber because that motor helps deal with that. And so that suspension design isn't currently used on any of their normal non-motorized mountain bikes. Correct. Yeah. So it's a new suspension design from them. Interesting. Um, Yeah. Do you think that it's a nailed in the coffin? For the React oh. suspension? Ooh, dad jokes. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say probably, I would guess. I would, I'd imagine they could make this go on other bikes. And I just feel like that nailed suspension design probably costs so much to, to implement and has a lot of different parts that aren't normal, like off-the-shelf pieces. So, yeah. Any, we'll see if this turns into a non-e-bike at some point. Any reliability concerns with you on all those links? I know you didn't have it for a long-term test, but everything looked fine to you Seb had that I don't know I think he's I think Seb is keeping it for a longer term test so I think we'll just have to wait and see what he uh, what he thought of it yeah. yeah and while we're talking about all this stuff I realized that I need to go back to RDO for the Niner it stands for race day optimized I didn't want to leave everybody hanging so <laughs> your acronym it, definition it is an acronym it's these, these aren't abbreviations who said they're abbreviations no because technically they're, these are the pedantic commenters that say that the it's not actually an acronym because you don't pronounce it like SWAT is an acronym and NASA is an acronym, but RDO is just the letters you're just saying them. So technically it's an abbreviation, but also abbreviation was just where you shortened the word like to abra, like a B B R. No, I looked into this after a couple of people called me out, but I'm still (laughs) sticking by calling them acronyms because in the general population, most people are fine with calling it acronyms. So yeah. English lesson aside, let's move on. Oh, it's an initialism. There we go. That's a thing. It's neither acronym or an abbreviation. It's an initialism. Yeah. But if I had that in the title and said Niner's new bike has initialisms, that wouldn't really work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <Anyways. laughs> so moving on, our other uh, British uh, editor here, Henry Quinney, he did a group comparison of rear tires from six leading brands, including Maxxis, Continental, WTV, Schwalbe, Vittoria, and Michelin. 
I just loved reading this one. First of all, he did the test in Lusa, Portugal, which is where the last World Cup, uh, downhill World Cup was. So that sounds pretty exotic right now and we can't travel very easily. And he rode over 4,000 meters of vert on each tire. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good couple weeks of work here. Um, of the six on tests, he said that there are four that are good options. I'll let you read to find out which ones are not as good options. Uh, but he also, if he were to buy one, it would be between the Maxis Aggressor or the Vittoria Martello, since they offered good performance as well as durability. What were some of the things that stood out to you guys from this test? Um, not really sure. There wasn't one standout. I thought he did a really good job just kind of describing how the tires rode, which is always a tricky thing to put in your sensations on the trail into words that actually make sense is tricky. Um, yeah, and I think there were people that were saying, why didn't you use the DHR2 in there, which I think that, that could have gone in there. But Henry's focus was a little bit on tires that were slightly faster rolling, not like semi-slick faster rolling, but ones that a little lower tread pro profile. Um, and so that's kind of how we ended up with those six tires. Which bike did he test these tires on? Was it the same bike for all the tires? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's riding a Specialized Enduro right now, I believe. Okay. It's his uh, kind of like test sled. Was he mainly focusing on downhill performance only? Mostly, like he, he he talks about, um, you know, overall rolling resistance, that type of thing. Yeah. But yeah, downhill because kind of the focus was on an enduro tire or something that yeah. worked for that. So more on downhill than uh, than. Climbing. But I don't think he was shuttling. I think he. No, no, he was earning those four thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Henry pedals a lot, like a lot, a lot. So he just, I, yeah, I just noticed that my my favorite tire didn't really get. <laughs> Henry, no, the old <laughs> I was trying to think of a reason why. Weird, yeah. yeah. Have you tried the Big Betty yet? I think that that'll yeah, replace that tire. Yeah. So good compared to the Hans Dom. I, you know, I just, I'm not, yeah, I'm not surprised that the Hans Dom wasn't his favorite. He was focusing, he, he's putting it on an Enduro, he's on which means he's going to <laughs> tires at work that slow you down. <laughs> it's, that tire doesn't belong on an Enduro. And if I was riding it on an Enduro, I would probably think it was shitty too, to be honest with you. It doesn't, yeah. I'm <laughs> we'll just leave it there, Kaz, It's not my favorite either. <laughs> Kaz is ready to tear me apart. <laughs> In other news, last week we talked about all of the incredible X Games edits from DJ Brandt, Danny McCaskill, Veronica Sandler, Brandon Semenuk, Brajay Vestavik, and Cam Zink. This week, X Games announced the winner of the event. That was Brandon Semenuk with the corked bar spin 720 in his 92nd edit. Vestavik came second overall with the Nor Norwegian gap of death, and Zink came third with his backflip roof drop. So... This, this is weird to me. I w so I haven't been, I took some time off, everybody. I come back and there's these mountain bike videos on the website and I watch them. I mean, everybody's videos were ridiculous, but why the fuck did Vest, how do you, Braj? Braga. Vest, Braga. 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 How come he didn't win? That video was ridiculous. Brian, can you explain how this happened? Uh, yeah, I, I've been doing a bit of digging. I, um, it's. It's a bit crazy to me too. I uh now like ultimately it doesn't matter. It's six super rad videos. Everybody crushed it. It's kind of like we're probably all more wound up about this than the riders are. I don't know, maybe not. But like it's I'm I don't understand the the judge result either. And the judges are like all people who sh know their shit. It's it, the judges were um were Aaron Chase, obvious legend, can um um, Gully, who knows what he's doing, he's done it for years, and Calvin Huff, who's like a 
well-known filmmaker from Victoria. Again, very like detail oriented, knows what he's doing. Um, and the way the categories that they, uh, I actually shouldn't talk about the categories. I don't totally understand. They explained a bit about how they judge things, but, um, yeah, it, uh, I don't understand either. The, the Braga's edit had the most creative writing, the most creative setups. Um, the, it, it was filmed in kind of like a raw sketchy way, which some people think, um, detracted from the score maybe, but uh, it was intentional choices. Like they did it. You can, you can film something and it not look like, a like a IMAX movie on purpose. Like it was a stylistic choice. So I don't know. Uh, fan, like the fan favorite Braga destroyed. I think he got 60% of the vote. Whereas everybody else was in the single digits, um, on, on, uh, on the X game stuff and on our, on our pink bike poll, it's same. It was, it was like 10 to one. That, that one thing where that Viking is flying through the air and he lands on his bash guard on the <laughs> yeah, rock. It's so so like good. 40 feet to bash guard. <laughs> what are you <laughs> doing? <purpose>. Yeah. <laughs> I liked how they filmed that one too. Cause it looks like it's about to be a Friday fail and then it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what an oh. animal. I haven't seen a video like that in a long time. I know. It, it really, I, like, I get, Brand, I, we should say, Brandon's, if you watch it critically, you go, holy shit, he's done a whole bunch of world firsts. And, you know, if Brandon had let us into the fear and the sketchiness of some of those things, maybe we'd feel differently. Like, it's, I don't so think dialed. people are crazy for thinking that his should win or whatever. Like, the things he does... And look at the terrain. He makes it look smooth, but it's not as smooth as it looks. Um, the You know, d- tail whipping, doing a huge tail whip drop on a slash is terrifying. Um, he he almost makes it look too easy, doesn't he? He's too good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so I don't know. I, I guess I get both sides of it, but I know which of those two edits I will... I'll remember more in five years. And to me, like that's the implied point of any video competition be memorable. So yeah, I don't know. I'm bummed for Braga as well. Cause like having an X games gold medal would be pretty insane for him and for his career. And he put so much work and he's released a bunch of things on Instagram now of like them sweeping the ice off the log. He did things like just the setups were so sketchy. The, it's very BMX it, mentality. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a BMX homer, so I'm biased, but yeah. (laughs) Anyways. Talk about another video competition next. We've just opened the uh, Pink Bike Academy for 2021. The application. Just as exciting, everybody. Now open. (laughs) (laughs) I like that segue, guys. We need James back. I think Braga is going to join the Pink Bike Academy. That's what he's real, oh real glory. He's going to be the best so enduro good. rider. <laughs> yeah. um, well, he might want to after hearing what the prize is. Uh, this year, the winner will launch their riding career as an official Monster Energy ambassador with a pro contract from Robrea Bikes and a $25,000 prize purse. We'll be doubling down on the racing this season with our two secret pros setting benchmark times to beat each episode so that we can see how the contestants stack up against two of the world's best enduro racers. As for last year to enter, you just need to submit a one minute video and fill out an entry form. All the details are at pinkbike.com slash pinkbikeacademy. You got this, Levy? 
Uh, highly unlikely. <laughs> but then you can get then your dream of being the Monster Energy ambassador. Dude, I'm already. I'm not even. Gonna, I'm not. We won't go there. <laughs> I don't know if it's official, so it's, I think it's more of like an oh, thing. Are you are you a Monster Energy influencer? Of sorts, of sorts. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty nice. stoked to to to, yeah. to be able to say that. Yeah. Just because the truck rode by your house and a couple of can like cases fell off the back, I don't know if that counts as being multiple times. Cass <laughs> monster <laughs> delivered right to my house. I've hit the big time. Everybody, yeah. you heard it here first. Levy is a full show. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Hortons and Monster. I'm I am excited for this PB Academy thing. I mean, to be honest, last year before it came out, I wasn't involved with the PB Academy at all. And when it came out, I was kind of like like a lot of other people, sort of like honestly, I felt like uh, you know mountain biking, whatever, you know, too cool for this shit. And then I watched the first episode, and I watched the second episode right away. And then I had to wait for the third one, and I was bummed that the third one wasn't out yet, and it ended up being amazing. You know, it's just mountain biking, and I, I think it's I think it's a pretty damn cool thing. How mad were you that Vlad didn't win? I'm pretty mad, actually. <laughs> Most <laughs> I was watching just for Vlad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's yeah, beast. Like too. He's yeah, an animal. He's, quite He's definitely made the most of most of it too. Um, I'm stoked for actually for pretty much everybody from last season. So I, I really hope we can provide a, the same level of opportunity for this next crop. Yeah. Can people re-enter? Like, can Vlad try again? He actually asked, um, and uh, I think, I, did we decide, Sarah? I think this answer was no, but we were going to talk to him about maybe contributing in some other way. Vlad's awesome. Um, we also had uh, another story from Henry about internal cable routing. Yes. Can, which can he we... seems to love. <laughs> what are you guys' how... thoughts on internal cable routing here? He, he, so, so how long you... has Henry been working for PB? Too long to fire him now, Levy. <laughs> Damn it. He's Six ridiculous. <laughs> that story's ridiculous. He's allowed it. to have an opinion. Levy, but... you wrote a story about how berms, there's too many berms. Yeah, there are too many berms. They make everything, <laughs> berms make everything too easy. And you, like, you ride it anyways. We won't go down that road. Yeah. I'm just. We'll, yeah. get, we'll get Henry on the podcast soon. He's got, he's got his setup dialed in now. So we can get him on and we can have a little debate. And uh, I know he has lots of other opinions we can yeah. argue and tell him he's wrong about. Yeah, I'm excited. He, for he's for internal thing. cable routing. He is. Yeah, he enjoys. You know, I will, only, but it has to be like a little that. bit hard to do. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't want tube and tube. He wants non tube and tube internal cable routing. Yeah, specifically. What? we can read the article read the article i did okay yeah it's i will say so um i bought my wife a pivot switchblade 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 and they come like now they come as like just full pile of parts in a box and the way that they have done it's just small open holes um but the holes are big enough that you can like get things through properly and it was no harder than tube and tube and so i don't know i feel like there should be a caveat like there are horrible horrible ways to do internal cable routing where it's just like the frame's all jagged and something won't come through the other side and the hole that you're trying to get it through is the size of housing or whatever it's awful but it wasn't i was kind of dreading it on that pivot and it wasn't bad at all tube and tube is still the way if you're going to go internal though like specialized way, but whatever well, yeah <laughs> they haven't they don't have access brakes yet though so all cables and hoses should be on the outside of the frame. You know, I've got to work on all these jackass bikes all the time. And some of them with the freaking internal routing, like I had to, I have 
three different grabber tools of different lengths and thicknesses to put in frames and grab stuff. And the one that gets me is the internal routing for the seat post when you have to take out the bottom bracket. Yeah. Okay, that is unacceptable. What the shit? (laughs) That is the worst. Where you have to like take out the, so that pivot has like a nice little trap door in front of the BB where you just undo a bolt uh, or two bolts and then you can arrange all your cables. Super easy. Yeah. That's it for the news. But first, this week's podcast is presented by Villiers. Italian bike manufacturer Villiers Triestina has released a new full-suspension cross-country mountain bike. Well-known for its road bikes, Villiers Triestina has designed the all-new Erda SLR to be a new niche product in the cross-country world, bringing its style and racing DNA to the off-road market. The Erda SLR has been designed to be fast, compact, and reactive, with racing geometry, a monocoque handlebar, integrated cables, two bottle cages, and flat mount rear brakes for a new off-road experience. Discover more at Villiers.com, that's W-I-L-I-E-R, or in the best Villiers Triestina shops. Let's move on to the questions, and the first one is from Tominator. He's called out UCAS. he has a question for you. He says... You guys ride and test a lot of bikes, sometimes new versions of existing models. Do you remember testing the latest version of a bike that you thought was actually worse than the old one? I thought about this question a little bit. I don't think that's happened. It would be hard for a company to mess up that bad to make their new model worse than the old one. Like, Unless it's like a, a shift in focus, like a, and it's more of a subjective thing then. But yeah, even then. But uh, I know that Levy, you... You went from loving the SB100 to being lukewarm on the SB1, sorry, yes. 115? Yeah, and I think, but that was more to do with you than they made the bike actively worse. It was just your uses yes. for the 110, it really fit into your world. Whereas when they moved it to 115, it was, they just, it was a, a product adjustment as well. It wasn't like a ground up new bike. Yeah. It just took it out of the category the- you wanted. Yeah, exactly. That's sort of what I was getting at with that is that it was it was sort of a shift of focus and I just didn't like what it was aimed at. And interestingly, I mean, it's the same frame, different suspension linkage up top, I think, maybe, or different shock, maybe. But anyways, yes. yeah, and it didn't really strike me in the same way. When I rode that SB100, I was like, holy shit, like this thing is awesome. And when I rode the bigger travel one, I just wasn't as excited about it. Um, but that's not a worse bike. That's a subjective sort of, um, and that's technically a different bike too. I mean, splitting hairs, but they even has a different model name and kind of different. I mean, I know it's the same bike also, Yeah, (laughs) but it's like the same, but they didn't really, they didn't pose it as like, this is our brand new, totally redesigned bike. So no, they were yeah open. What about, what about the specialized, the new specialized stump jumper? It moved from a horse link to that linkage-driven linkage driven single pivot, which I prefer the new bike, how that one performs, because you, you've ridden both of them a ton. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, maybe I could see someone wanting the horse link suspension, maybe, but... Yeah, it's it like really a little different. That... I guess the new stump jumper almost falls into more of the uh, like lighter duty trail and kind of yeah. splits it. And then these, but then they made the stump jumper Evo. So I yeah. think they have options for it, but yeah, I think the, somebody that liked the old one potentially not be quite as enamored with the new stump jumper, but then that's why that Evo exists. So I think they'll yeah. still be happy and they so still no. do make the horse link in the aluminum. So no, yeah. My answer to Tominator is no, I have not, uh, had a new bike that was worse than the old one. 
All right. Next question. This one's from Qualms23. This was on that Canyon Stoic review in our Value Bike Field Trip series. He says he'd like to hear more references about compliance when talking about aluminum hardtails. Was the frame more on the stiff side or did it soak up some of the feedback from the trail? So, Sarah, you and I, we just finished riding five aluminum hardtails. All those reviews are coming out. Did any of them feel more compliant to you or did they all feel like you were being punished for your sins? They all felt like hardtails. Have a right. word at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're also alu- aluminum hardtails. Yeah, they're not. We didn't even have carbon ones to go back and forth with either. Yeah. So, you know, there is definitely a difference in how frames can feel, especially when you're going from different materials, aluminum, hardtail, titanium. I'm going to be honest with you guys. You're going to have to ride them back to back on the same thing to actually feel the difference, I think, on a lot of this stuff. I'm not a huge believer, especially with mountain bikes, when you have big tires and a lot of things going on. Um, having said that, I know Brian spent a lot of time on a titanium hardtail, and he was telling me how smooth and supple the rear end was. That is not <laughs> true. I did. N- I would never, ever say that. I. No, I, I can't. No. No. Uh, no, no, absolutely not. Like, I'm sure that somebody can. Yeah. I'm sure that in places where the ter- there's less terrain or the terrain's more linear than here, like just smoother places or whatever, terrain, people get... Anything? <laughs> <laughs> I like my terrain with more ramp-up. <laughs> Brian said we said rocks and roots too much, so now we got to say progressive and linear terrain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, we do all say rocks and roots too much. It's just nice alliteration. Um, no, places where where it's like smooth for a while then chunky for a while then smooth for a while whereas here just everything's changing all the time and it's hard for bikes to kind of keep up or our brains to keep up to think like oh that was uncomfortable because of my frame you know um i don't yeah i could not there was that moots i rode for a while the titanium moots was very very nice and it did have a very nice feel but i could not tell you if it was down to the tires the you know the titanium frame the carbon bar the the type of grips i had the amount of psi i had in the type like there's a million like the tolerance stack between the ground and my hands is that it's too too people, much people don't even check their tire pressure who cares about I your know. frame material just go get it <laughs> get <laughs> yeah. after if, it if, if you if you buy a bike based on the frame material for compliance or whatever but you don't check your tire pressure religiously you're you're doing it backwards for sure. I feel like maybe we should pretend to be like a pretentious British road bike magazine where we talk about like titanium <laughs> and carbon and Reynolds eight fifty three. <laughs> Anyways, okay. Last question. This one's from Maddie WBA. He says Levy has left Pink Bike for a store manager job at Tim Hortons. I've been missing for a little while. I've just been riding my bike. Took a little took a little break. Took some holidays. Been riding my balls off, but. I'll be back for some podcasts and for some other things. Uh, Yeah. Anyways. Okay. Let's get to our discussion about our value bike field trip where we had those 10 bikes uh, all under $3,000 and starting at $1,200, five hardtails, five full suspension bikes. Uh, Sarah and I spent a month riding these bikes in Squamish and the Sunshine Coast. And as the tradition goes, we're about to get grilled on what we think of them, this time by Casimir and Brian. I guess we could, I mean, we mentioned there's hardtail category, full suspension category. Let's start with the hardtails because I know, Levy, in the past, how much you love hardtails. They're pretty much your favorite bike ever. They just, 
Yeah, they just take a lot out of me, Casimir. Mm-hmm. Do you think that all your gravel grinding has helped you become more accepting of hardtails? Uh, absolutely not, because I don't want to ride a mountain bike that much on gravel roads, although I don't mind it. <laughs> Do you think that gravel, that we could sell 30% more hardtails if we just relabeled them as gravel bikes? Well, they need... Like if Specialized just took no. their entire lineup, didn't change, like they went to slightly narrower tires, but that's it. And they just said gravel optimized. No, they need you need drop handlebars. <laughs> you need three hand positions. I know, but have you seen all these like flat bar gravel it's bikes silly. now? It's like yeah, it's a mountain bike, guys. It's got like oh, you got suspension and flat bars yeah. and one point nine tires. Well, how is this not a mountain bike? I think bike? that the big thing for me is it's not a gravel bike if it doesn't have drop handlebars. I know it. In mountain bikers right now are just like, who cares? They look stupid. But when you have those three hand positions and you're out there for five hours, six hours, seven hours doing something and it's windy as hell and whatever, like that makes a huge difference. Yeah. So that's a serious yeah. answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's go back into the <laughs> actual mountain bike. Cause these are real mountain bikes. We were not testing gravel bikes. Um, and I guess we should explain why we had hardtails and, and, just to yeah. begin with, right? Like, what's the importance of a hardtail today in 2022, 2021? Well, bike, bikes are really expensive, and, and hardtails are, are less expensive. There's less stuff going on. Um, and today's hardtails are super capable. And honestly, I was surprised, Kaz. Like, before we went away to do this field trip thing with all the hardtails, I was like, ah, oh, fuck, I got to ride a bunch of hardtails. Like, I was limping in anticipation of riding hardtails, all hunched <laughs> over, just ready to be hunched over. Listeners, you would not imagine how much Levy complained about it <laughs> so ahead of time. <laughs> Turns out they're just fine, though, everybody. <laughs> the modern hardtail, in most cases, in most places in the world, is a great bike. Yeah, I don't, so we had, the, we had the Rocky Mountain Growler, Vitas. No, I, I say Vitas. You guys say Vitas. I'm going to say Vitas. So the Vitas I say Centier. Vitas just to bug people. I know. Vitas Centier. I don't actually know how you say it. Canyon Stoic and the Norco Fluid. Out of all those, if you're going to have one, you had to only ride one of those for the rest of the year. You don't get to ride any other mountain bikes. Which one was going to be your pick? I mean, it's got to be that Growler. I live in I live in Squamish. The trails are fairly rocky and they're steep in places and a lot of places and most places. Uh, and the Growler surprised me. When I was riding it, it was the only hardtail that I was riding like a full suspension bike. I was taking basically the same lines as I was on the full suspension bikes and I felt... Uh, pretty damn comfortable on it so it would have to be that bike yeah what if you lived in sun valley uh, i'd have a sweet gravel bike <laughs> that is a good answer uh yeah i probably wouldn't ride the growler if i lived in sun valley um you know i might be more in line with that bmc to be honest with you which was a, a mm-hmm. i mean i think that bmc's great looking bike interesting bike yeah it's as far as the growler goes, like the geometry, it's got the slackest head angle by one degree. I think it's got 64 degree head angle. Um, it's the longest bike too. And also it had those 2.6 inch tires. We talked about mm-hmm. tires before. Which Levy loves. It, yeah. I, but <laughs> yeah, th- that had the biggest tires out of these bikes too, right? It's different. Yeah. It's no, different. I'm not, it's, I'm not yeah. Well, in a hardtail, I'm a full fan of 2.6 inch yeah. tires because they just help take the edge off things. But do you think that helped you just Huge. not feel like you getting smashed around? Yeah. Yeah, and I think they were WTB tires too, which you know I've I talk about a lot. I have a pretty open mind when it comes to tires and stuff, and it was slick in spots there, wasn't it, Sarah? We got a little bit of rain and stuff like yeah. that. We came um, out of the snow into the rain. Yeah, it's the snow. Uh, those WTB tires were pretty sick, guys. They worked very well. Yeah, 
That's good. And then Sarah, you spent probably more time than most of us on XC hardtails in the years past. So what, out of all these ones, are you still going with your XC roots or do you have a different favorite for these hardtails? I mean, if I were going to be racing XC... No, let's definitely. say just like your bike. You're just like normal. If I were now to you choose, live in Squamish. Yeah. yeah, if I were to choose one of these five bikes and I'm living in Squamish, I would definitely also choose the Rocky Mountain Growler. I think it's the most capable of those bikes by far and the one that I had the most fun riding on. I wasn't really expecting to have that much fun on it and it was super capable and I, I just couldn't believe that I was having so much fun on a $1,700 bike. So that's, I mean, the, re- the reason we included the hardtail category was for that you know there's a ton of new riders coming to the sport right now i'd like them to buy good bikes and not bad bikes most of them don't live in squamish um of those like taking yourself out of the equation for both of you guys like what what should where should people be looking for their their first trail hardtail any of these somewhere else you know you know you want to spend in that fifteen hundred dollar ish range yeah, I would say, I mean, any of these bikes, really. And I think that Growler would actually be a great bike in plenty of places that are less aggressive. It's not just going to be awesome on steep stuff, for sure. Um, the one thing is with all of these bikes, we talk about it in the reviews, there is always a couple things where we're like, well, that's going to cost a couple hundred bucks. We'd want to change that, you know, six months down the road or a few months down the road when whenever parts wear out. Um, so that is the one thing that, like, you're spending $1,500 on a hardtail, you're going to get a sick bike, but be ready to spend another couple hundred bucks probably. Yeah, I think the lack of dropper posts on a couple of them. You know, the BMC is kind of acceptable because it's a build as XC bike and dropper posts still mm-hmm. aren't mm-hmm. And everywhere. And it's compatible but, with the yeah. dropper posts too. And that's Stoic at the price point. The Stoic is around $1,200. It doesn't come with one, but mm-hmm. you need to budget in money for that. But and let's, Actually, let's talk about the Stoic a little bit because on paper, it looks not that far off from the Growler. The, the only real big difference is the head angle. It's a 65-degree head angle versus the Rocky with 64. Otherwise, like, the reach is 5 mils longer than the Rocky. Chain stays are, you know, 6 millimeters shorter. But it seems like you guys put that bike into a more kind of general trail usage. Is there anything why you think that is or just kind of a culmination of different parts plus geometry? I think it's a culmination of things. The Rocky Mount, I don't have the numbers right in front of me right now, but looking at my notes, the Rocky Mountain felt... Like it was lower to the ground, Kaz? Is there a difference in bottom bracket height? Do you know? Um, And the other thing too, I think it's a 140 fork versus slightly shorter travel fork on that Stoic. I think it's a culmination of the cockpit, the larger tires, the 140 mil fork. Um, Oh, so I just checked and the Stoic does also have a 140 millimeter fork. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm pretty sure. There's too many numbers, everybody. (laughs) I know there's so many numbers, but I thought I'd double check that one. It's pretty important. Um, I agree that the Rocky Mountain just felt a lot more, a lot easier to ride on the downhills. Um, Yeah, it it just gave you a lot more confidence, you know. It is a $500 more expensive bike, so definitely part of that is in the fork, is in the components. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of that's yeah. brakes too, to be honest with you. The yeah. brakes on confidence. Yeah, you can purchase yeah. confidence yeah. for brakes that work, <laughs> it turns out. Can we talk about brakes for a minute before we yeah. go on? That's we one should, of the things cause... you guys really identified as like a huge range in performance. Uh, the range was mostly shitty to slightly less shitty, Brian. (laughs) Modulation? What's that? I like stopping. Why? (laughs) Yeah, I'm honestly blown away that these bikes come with brakes 
that don't really work. And I, I mean, I know that Kaz, like we, Kaz and Sarah, we ride expensive bikes with like four piston fancy brakes with huge rotors that could stop a train almost, you know, I get it that the inexpensive bike, the brakes might not be quite as powerful, but when you have a bike with four piston brakes and I'm using three fingers to stop the damn thing, Brian, how much more expensive are metallic pads and proper rotors at the wholesale level? Like, you know come what? On. I, I actually want to get, I want to talk to some product managers and find out where, where we're at right now, because it's not that much more, but maybe it is now. Now, the thing is that people forget that your cost at cost gets multiplied a couple of times between the bill of materials and the consumer. So, you know, if it's a, $40 difference or a $20 difference at, on the bill of materials. That's a big difference at retail. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good point. So, and, and it's the, you know, we are talking about a consumer that is, has two spreadsheets or three spreadsheets open or different spec sheets open going, okay, like I've got $1,400. This one's 14, this one's 16. And they both have the same break from their, from what they can see. They don't see the difference in those two brakes. So, of course, they're going to get the $1,400 one or even the one that's $50 cheaper. Yeah. Um, so, it, it, I think product managers are probably, yeah, they have to play that game a little bit. I wish they didn't. I think brakes are one of the worst places to try and save weight or money. But Are the resin pads and rotors specced specifically to save cost or are there is there another reason here? Yeah, they make less noise and uh, and your, your entry-level rider... I think there's a perception and actually it's probably true that they complain a lot more about brake noise than mm-hmm. an experienced rider. I also think that one of those Shimano brakes is designed only to work with those pads and rotors as well. There's like a, there's like a resin brake, resin only brake set. And it can only like the pad yeah. shape, the backing plate is like mm-hmm. resin only. So you're trapped everybody. Yeah, <laughs> Sweet. Exactly. I know. <laughs> And yeah, and Levy's always about no four piston brakes, but I'd be all about if they could even just make these more powerful. If that's what it took to make them more powerful, like Kaz, because some of these shape, four piston brakes, are, yeah, were they some of these four piston brakes we were using were less powerful than some two piston brakes I have. Oh, some of these bikes did have four piston brakes. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Either way, yeah. I mean, I'd, it'd be nice if somebody could just kind of like nail it with a inexpensive brake that works well that could go on these at this price point that you don't have to complain about because that is a huge that's probably one of them it affects your ride more than most things yeah i was just thinking about it how you know when you get into the more expensive bikes you know you've got the five thousand dollar bike and then the you know seven thousand dollar bike and that's kind of the jumps but when you're into these really inexpensive bikes they probably have you know they're hitting that twelve hundred dollar price point they're hitting that fourteen hundred dollar price point and they're hitting that sixteen hundred dollar price point and they're so close together that there's only so many things that you can play with to get that price point exactly where people want to buy it. And you have so much pressure um, on the product side to like hit that fourteen ninety nine. Oh God, if you go from fourteen ninety nine to fifteen fifty because of the brakes, oh man, everybody in the organization's mad at you. Hmm. And some of that comes not even from the organization, but they know that their sales reps are going to yep. shops, and the shop owners like, oh, we can't buy that; it's fifteen fifty. So yep. yeah, it's so, tricky I mean, for all these product managers to make these work, but. It would be nice. Uh, better brakes, I think, is been what the theme would you guys the give up? What would you give up for your? Well, I've asked this Nothing. before, but for your fifteen hundred dollar bike, what would you all. give up to to get <laughs> to get better brakes? I'd give up internal cable routing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. 
<laughs> Suck it, Henry. <laughs> give me external cable routing and then good brakes and good tires. I, I mean, tires. you're kidding, but that's not crazy. Like, no, I know. Those yeah. things cost money. Adding frame features costs money. Just zip tie everything in a bundle down to the down tube and away you go. Yeah. I, I would be happy to give up a bunch of little things, stuff like... Like, I don't know, put some crappy grips that are slide-on grips on there. I'll put lock-on grips later, you know, whatever. Or maybe a cockpit that's not quite as nice, although none of these cockpits were Those cockpits were, that were nice. pretty bad, some of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. It's you know, I, I, yeah, it, it is tricky. And I, I understand the balance of how things have to work. But then all of these bikes should cost 50 or $70 more and have brakes that people don't need to fix down the road. Like, as soon as they go after, go up for the first ride, I mean. I think that because brakes are a bigger expense than... Like, if you have brakes and you can't... It's very hard to truly upgrade your brakes. And it's it's complicated as a non-mechanic to swap things out, that kind of thing. I would almost say I'd be willing... I feel like a lot of these folks buying a $1,200 bike would be well-suited, or it'd be like, yep, don't put a dropper on it, but get better brakes on it. Not crazy. Yeah, hard choice, really hard choice. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it, Depends it, where you live, probably, yeah. but yeah. Exactly, but if you got to give something up. Yeah. yeah, and it's a lot easier to buy used dropper posts, too. Like, a used dropper is fine, but buying used brakes is always like, ah, I don't know what happened to them. And are they gonna uh, it's such a hard thing, because if you, if you go on a test ride with a dropper post in that parking lot, oh, man, you would never want to not have a dropper post, whereas you might not be able to tell that the brakes are going to let you down yeah. and you might get scared of the powerful brakes if you're actually a true Ooh. beginner and you mm-hmm. know a little bit hesitant to even go off road and you grab the brakes it's like you ever rented a car and the brakes are crazy touchy and you get scared to even use the brakes i've had that no. happen but yeah <laughs> that's why i don't like four piston brakes because they scare me yeah there you go so see these bikes are just made for you to not be scared they're making you safe i keep flipping over the handlebars yeah <laughs> no. yeah i think one of the big overarching questions that people will have is you guys ride a lot of very fancy bikes. You you ride $10,000 bikes on a regular basis. Um, what is the difference between, like the tangible difference between your $10,000 superbike and your $2,500 trail full suspension bike? Like what are, are people going to be going any slower? Are you going to have less fun? Um, I think that there are times when people could be going slower, but I think that's going to be more a case of, a rider who has been um, riding for a while and and knows how to ride fast. Like if you let me put it this way: if if you've never ridden an S Works or uh, a high end Lyric Ultimate or a Fox Factory, whatever, and you're riding um, that X Fusion fork or the Sun Tour fork, they're not going to hold you back. But if you've used that stuff and then you get on a bike with those less expensive forks, there's, there is definitely a noticeable difference there. So suspension is one, front suspension only, not rear suspension. I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll get mm-hmm. to that. Yeah. And then the little things that we talked about before. So the brakes, obviously, we don't need to go over all that again. Um, but things like gearing range, um, small things like, yeah, the bikes all come with dropper posts or most of the bikes come with dropper posts. But you know those more expensive bikes are coming with... 200 millimeter travel dropper posts where all of these have like 125s or 150s or whatever it is. Um, if you don't have the terrain, I think I would say that no, I don't think you would be going slower on something like that $2,300 polygon than you would be 
you know, a $5,000 specialized. Sarah, what do you think? You're smirking over there. <laughs> I don't know. Everybody. I came back from the Value Bikes field trip and got on, you know, a more expensive bike and was like, this is an entirely different sport. I like so this you, sport better. <laughs> you live in Squamish. It's super, it's super gnarly here. People don't, this yeah. isn't, you know, this isn't the real world. And I think that Sunshine Coast is closer to the real world for these trail bikes that we're riding. These aren't bikes meant to be sending it off of huge things or anything. I'm surprised to hear, Levy, for you to say that there, you to da- kind of downplay the difference because to me one of the really clear standouts was weight and yeah. in in terms of the difference between a twenty five hundred dollar bike and a ten thousand dollar bike, it is it's a lot of weight and in places with less terrain, weight almost matters more than it does. No, it here. doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Yeah, you get like if the bike quick. weighs twenty five pounds or thirty pounds, doesn't matter. Right. I think it may, you notice those things more if you get the chance to go back to back. But like, mm-hmm. Levy, when you were out in Sedona last year doing the value bikes, we got used to riding like 35 pound full suspension bikes that didn't, that weren't mm-hmm. $10,000 bikes. And then eventually when you go to your, you know, fancy, more expensive, lighter ones, like, oh, that's nice. But if you never experienced that, you're fine. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, it's fine. It's 35 pounds. That's normal. So I think it's kind of like where your expectations are. But yeah, climbing speed, if you're on a 25 pound bike versus 35, one is going to be easier to get to the top for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so front suspension brakes and yeah, I mean I will I will concede the weight thing. I don't think that's a factor for the large majority of people though to be honest. Hmm. Interesting. You guys actually going back to front suspension, should we talk a bit about forks cuz you guys struggled a bit with that was another one of those like big differentiators in in performance both on the hardtails and the full suspensions. Yeah, so we had uh, a bunch of different forks. We had a couple Fox forks. That's the Rhythm fork with that grip damper. Uh, we had one. Is the rhythm damper the old, the first grip damper? Is that yes, what it is? it's the original grip damper. Yeah, okay. yeah, super impressive. Um, the other fork we had one Suntour XCR on the front of the Stoic. We had an X Fusion fork on the front of the Norco Fluid, and then we had a whole bunch of RockShox thirty five forks. And there was quite a different performance range. Um, the Fox Rhythm forks with that grip damper, and I think we had a Z two on a bike, Sarah. Marzaki, yeah, on the, was that the Rift Zone, I think? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and those were, I don't mean like Casimir, I wasn't asking for anything more from those forks, to be honest. The rhythm in the Z2, you know and those this. Have, those have essentially the same damper, right? Yes, yeah, it's, similar. It's, yeah. it's a rail damper. It's slightly different in the, uh, um, the grip damper is still a cartridge damper where the rail damper is more of an open bath, kind of like a open bath style damper. Great performance from all of those. Um, if we talk about the Suntour and the Exfusion forks first, I was surprised, actually, to be honest with you. Neither of them felt incredibly smooth. Um, they felt kind of like a bit steppy, notchy through their travel. Um, but the damper felt pretty reasonable on both of them. Um, the spring rates were okay. Um, I don't know about... Uh, adding volume spacers and that kind of stuff in those forks, to be honest with you. I'm not sure how much of an option that is, but they weren't terrible. Um, the one thing that I'll mention on that X-Fusion fork, the low-speed rebound damper had about uh, zero clicks of range. So it was either all the way open or dead slow. Not great. Um, and then we get to those RockShox 35s. And you struggled with those. I did, Yeah. Um, inconsistent, honestly, would be the description. 
Um, we had a RockShox 35 Silver, and that one uses a TK damper, their turnkey damper, which is not a motion control, uh, and it doesn't use a debonair spring either. Um, so it is, it's obviously a very price conscious fork, but I, I would have expected it to match the X Fusion, and it felt inconsistent. It was quite noisy. It was making those like. <laughs> Kaz knows those noises. I thought that meant performance. <laughs> no, not so much. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I was uh, I was a little let down with the thirty five, to be honest. Just the silver one, or or all, and when when you say inconsistent, was it inconsistent from fork to fork, or from part of your ride to part of your ride? Both, and that's something that Casimir and I actually found too at the last value bike field test. Um, there would be times where it felt like there was one fork, one of the 35s in particular. I don't remember which one, to be honest. I would have to look at my notes. But one of the 35s in particular, I would go for a ride and it would feel like it had, you know, 20 PSI too little air in it. And then half an hour later, it would feel like it had 20 PSI too much. Um, the damper was quite loud and inconsistent as well, too. Um and when you, I mean, when I could hear the fork and I don't have the confidence in the fork, that means I don't have confidence in the front end. So not great. On these hardtails, especially that front suspension performance is so critical. Is Sarah, is, is Levy being a prima donna? Were, were they that um, lacking? No, I, I had the same feeling that the, yeah, the 35, I think it was just on two or three of the full suspension bikes, none of the... Um, Hardtails had that fork, but yeah, it was definitely unpredictable and you didn't know whether you could trust it or not. So yeah, you want to be able to trust your suspension on your bike. Of the full suspension bikes, was there a clear winner for you or or a clear loser? Sarah first, maybe? I really liked the Ibis Ripley, of course, the most expensive bikes. That's our theme that we both like the most expensive bikes in both categories. Um, (laughs) <laughs> funny how that works uh but that polygon i think was kind of the surprise that it didn't feel just say it it didn't suck it didn't suck yeah <laughs> i mean that's not it doesn't sound very nice but no it did work really well um and you didn't know that you know you could turn your mind off and not think about what fork do I have? What rear shock do I have? What brakes do I have? And you could just ride your bike, which I think is kind of the goal with any bike is that you're not thinking, are these tires going to hold my corner? Like, can I push into the fork? You know? So I think that was, uh, yeah, the highlights for, for me in the full suspension category. Levy, same, same spot. Yeah. Pretty similar. I think that we should point out an asterisk though. I mean, I, I like the Ibis a lot. (laughs) It's the most expensive bike. It's three grand. So it's the priciest bike of our group test. But let's also mention that it's a large and mm. the other bikes were mediums. So it's it's longer and it definitely felt more stable. Uh, we rode a lot on a trail called Mock Chicken, which is as fast as it sounds. It's very fast. Um, and the Ibis was the longest bike. Um, and I think that helped it a lot, Sarah. Um, the reason that we have a large is they didn't have a medium for us because bikes are in short order right now, but we really wanted to include it because obviously this is a, this is an important bike for the value market. So the bike that surprised me the most though, is that polygon dude, that polygon Siskiyou, is that how you say it? T8? We said it in all the videos, so hopefully it works. I hope that's how we say it. (laughs) (laughs) That thing, Casimir, that thing blew me away. It's not light, but it, it does all the things you get on it. 
and it works super well. I think part of that is good geometry. It's got reasonably good components on it, except for those Tektro four piston brakes, uh, a great fork. And it's the bike that I felt the most at home on, to be honest. That's yeah. cool. And for that price, yeah, 20, like 2300 or 2369. That's like a good price for that bike. Yeah, dude, we, Sarah and I were riding that bike and we both said to ourselves, we both said like, we would just ride this bike, period. Like if this was our mountain bike, that Polygon Siskiyou T8, we would just, after I changed the brake pads, <laughs> we, would, <laughs> we would just ride that bike. It's a great package. Uh, and it was probably, probably one of the most impressive of the test. Yeah. yeah, that's good to hear. What about the uh, the giant trance? We brought that one in. It's kind of a return contestant because the last time we brought in the super fancy one that had live valve, like there, I think that was ten thousand something dollars. But we wanted to see how the mm-hmm. one of the least expensive versions of it, if that was any better, any worse. How how'd you go with that one, Sarah? Well, I remember how Levy said that it didn't need live valve. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> well, it is quite an active suspension platform um which if you're you know sitting down and pedaling and want to get up over you know wet roots and that kind of thing it it works super well it kind of absorbs all that chatter on the trail um but as soon as you get into you know if you want to like stand up and power up a climb you know it it does feel like it would benefit from that live valve suspension if anybody puts live valve on their twenty two hundred dollar or whatever full suspension i'm so into it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> please send us a message please yeah yeah well it's like if you buy the you know fifteen hundred dollar bmc and then somebody was like just put carbon wheels on it sure double the price with your carbon wheels and it'll yeah. be you know quite a bit lighter <laughs> so yeah just double the price of your giant trance by putting life valve on it yeah i would agree with sarah there though that i was surprised at how active that bike was when i reviewed that live valve giant i was like this thing doesn't need live valve what the heck who cares you know get rid of this stuff just let the suspension do its thing turns out doing its thing is moving a lot (laughs) while you pedal um the upside though is tons of traction and comfort so i was seated more on the giant Uh, i think you could conceivably have better luck and some tech climbing stuff, um, especially if you stay seated more and it gives you more traction. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if I'm pounding up a fire road, I'm definitely hitting that switch. I should also point out the Trance was the one of the bikes we weren't really gelling with that RockShox 35 fork on the front of that thing. Um, and that was a big factor. That was the, the, the troublesome 35 that felt pretty inconsistent to me. And that was a big factor in the bike. Just I didn't gel with it. I was never super sure what it was going to do. It it felt to me like the fork was like bottomed half the time when it shouldn't be. You know, it was it was interesting. Yeah. So it's interesting because your your review of the the most expensive Transax, um, you said that descending it was a bit skittish and it felt unsure. Um, it felt like the the live valve couldn't keep up to the terrain. Um, and that it felt kind of harsh. Um, it sounds like your experience with this one is the opposite. Yes, precisely. Precisely. Did it work too too active almost? Yeah. Um, I, I think you could get more out of it. Um, I think you'd want to run less sag, um, maybe a bit slower rebound just to try to make it feel more controlled, but I, I, I would honestly, before I, sh- I mean, I've been shitting on the rear end for the last five minutes, but I would love to try that bike with a fork that I like more 
because I am, I'm of the belief that that was a big factor in making the whole bike feel not quite as as uh, good as I would have expected. Yeah. So that bike's been let down by suspension tw- choices twice in a row. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe it's the middle one. Maybe we need to bring in the middle of the, lot, the line one to see. <laughs> we tried the most expensive one, the least expensive. Maybe it's that middle one that's the sweet spot. I think, the middle one I is think the we're good done one. with bracketing on this That's one. probably yeah, the one that most people are going to buy. I don't know. Yeah. 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 that's the Vinci Marshall? That's the made in Canada bicycle. And you guys are in Canada. Does it work good in Canada? Canada specific. From the East Coast. Doesn't work. Yeah, that's your, your home? No, it, no, uh, <laughs> it worked. No, no, it does work. It, I quite enjoyed I got along with, with the Marshall um yeah it it feels it has a less active suspension platform it feels like you can kind of push into it 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 actually has the steepest head tube angle but it doesn't feel that way on the trail it's it feels confident when you're going downhill which it kind of feels like a little kind of like a little enduro bike you know if you were just doing a couple races here once in a while it's pretty heavy but yeah made in quebec pretty cool we should also mention, too, it's the only full suspension bike here in our value bike field trip test that doesn't have a shock lockout. No pedal assist lever, which is interesting. Split pivot suspension. And I rode that bike and I would have to agree with Sarah that it doesn't really need a lockout. Um, pedals pretty well. So if you're looking at features and trying to boil down, you know, which bike is the best for your money, I wouldn't hold it against the Marshall that it doesn't have a lockout, doesn't really need one. I just got so hungry for poutine. Oh, poutine <laughs> poutine so and maple syrup and uh, Da Vinci Marshall. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I, I like, I mean, it's kind of cool we got to include that one just because it is a, a good story, just a more value-oriented bike that's actually made in, in Canada. So you don't see that all the time. By robots? How do they do robots. that? Robots. Robots. So they've got they've got quite a big investment in, in robot welding. Um, I also, I sus- I'm pretty sure there was, there's like, the government of Canada has been doing some cool uh, domestic manufacturing grants and that kind of stuff. And I, I think that they were involved in one of those programs. So maybe, maybe, hope, hopefully my tax dollars are going towards helping cheap bikes get made nicely in Canada. I don't know. That'd be all right. Oh, that's cool. You guys get like fancy healthcare and bikes made for you by the government. Lucky. <laughs> I totally don't know if that's true, but let's go with that. Let's yeah, spread that. I'm going to believe it. <laughs> What 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 disappointed you? We've talked about the forks. We've talked about the some of the brake issues. What about the bikes themselves? Were there any that were just misses from a from a bike yeah. standpoint? Not maybe not from a spec. Yeah, I mean, I think. I think... You... Go Sorry, ahead. go ahead, Sarah. <laughs> well, I think the Marin Rift Zone had the best one of the best specs, and unfortunately, it kind of let us down on the actual ride quality. I think their goal with it was they kind of came at it from a cross country frame and then wanted it to kind of pedal well but i don't know it didn't really pedal all that well and it didn't really descend all that well so we weren't yeah that it wasn't yeah one of our favorites i would say so the geometry thing leaving what's yeah i'm not so yeah the spec like sarah said the spec was great yeah (laughs) um it's not it's not inexpensive it's one of our more expensive bikes here um, one of the big things for me, it's $2,800 and the frame looks like it's from 1997 when you get up close. There are some details that aren't super awesome. Um, as far as how it rides, I want to say it has a relatively short reach. 
which didn't help matters. I think that made it feel a little nervous on the trail. Um, and I just, I just didn't get on with the rear suspension on that thing either. Um, the spec though, good spec. But that's some of the danger when a lot of, maybe this is maybe going above that price point, but a lot of the purchase decisions that are happening around, you know, between 1500 bucks and three grand are so driven by spec. And this is a, a reminder that spec isn't everything. Yeah, that's one an interesting of, one, though, because the suspension isn't, I'm sorry, not suspension, the geometry is not really that much of an outlier either. Like it, on paper, it's one of those things like it also just stresses the importance of test riding a bike before you buy one, because on paper, it, it does look like it has everything. Like the numbers are all contemporary. The parts package looks great. But yeah, both of you agreed after riding it compared to the other ones, it doesn't quite stack up. So yeah, separately too. Like mm-hmm. Sarah rode the bike, didn't talk to me about the bike. I rode the bike. I did talk to her about the bike. And then we talked about the bike and we're both like... I was a little scared. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. It doesn't, it's not, it's not doing anything weird either, right? It's just like a linkage driven single pivot. Yep. Yeah. So it's weird. Do you guys have, of the, of our 10 bikes, is there one that you'd be most interested in? Which, which bike would you guys consider? I think the BMC. What? Who am yeah. I speaking with? <laughs> I would. You know, it does have a dropper post, right, Cass? We went over that. Well, I would fix that. Yeah. <laughs> I, my BMC would be like, a, let's see, it's, it'd be like $200 more than whatever it costs. But I like the idea that there is a, a more affordable hardtail like XC race bike that you know kids doing Nike races or local XC things could get into, and the geometry looks good, especially for an XC bike. Like yeah, sixty-seven head tube angle. Like even if you put a a one twenty fork on it, and then you'd still like that's pretty modern, probably fast. Um, yeah, I think that one looks interesting. I just like that that exists and that they're they're making it more accessible because yeah, some some actual like race red XC hardtails just cost crazy amounts of money that no parents will be able to afford for their kid where that one seems like it could be a cool option. So that's the one that stuck out the most, I think. I like that. Uh, I'll agree with you, Kez. For me, hardtails are for cross country. Um, and so, yeah. from Don't the you own two hardtails right now, Brian? <laughs> yeah. No, just but one. But he's making them have like 62 degree head angles too. For yeah. cross, for cross that's country. That's fine guys. for cross country. It's fine. <laughs> no, it's not. It, I mean... The, the hardtail that I have is a is full XC weenie spec with a fairly slack head tube angle because I think that cross con- like hardtails are for cross country and I enjoy it on the mellow terrain. Um, so I think if I of these bikes, I would probably take the growler and short fork it. So your bottom bracket's like yeah, one inch off, it the, off ground. the ground. <laughs> Just leave cranks. it alone. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect as is. <laughs> Just, whatever, 20, 20 mil shorter on for the for the fork and it'd be great get it to that i think if you rode that bike you wouldn't change anything maybe not yeah it also is available with a 130 fork i believe so they've already Mm -hmm. half short forked it for you yeah perfect yeah you guys both want hardtails not the full suspension bikes no i think interesting if i was going to buy one for myself i think that yeah probably that polygon looks pretty interesting to me i like that just seems basic and like it would work well I'm buying that Marin Rift Zone, selling the frame, and putting all the parts on the uh, on the growler. There you go. <laughs> no, Brian, you know what you do? You buy the Rift Zone and sell all the parts and make money because there's no parts it, anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Start the bidding. Hey, everybody's bike, so I don't know how you finish out on top. <laughs> yeah. I don't want the Marin anyway. <laughs> it's like the yeah. It's like we can start the bidding on this Quick Link at twenty six dollars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question time. Let's say each of you has $2,500 in your bank account and you're looking for a new bike. Are you going to pick a hardtail or a full suspension? 
And when you make your choice, make sure you mention the drawbacks to each one. We'll start with you, Sarah. Well, this is difficult because I'm assuming that you're going to have to upgrade some things. So if you've only got $2,500, you definitely want to keep that in mind. You're also going to have to buy, you know, probably a helmet, maybe some bike shoes, pedals. So I'm going to say you should probably go with a less expensive bike, a hardtail, and then make sure that it's well specced and you've got all the gear that you need to ride it and you're still going to have a lot of fun. Well, I'm going to disagree with Sarah. First of all, I've never had $2,500 in my bank account. <laughs> it's all theoretical. Tomorrow, yeah, yeah that'd be sweet. <laughs> um, honestly, I think I'd get that polygon and then I would spend the extra 150 or 200 bucks sorting, sorting out the brake situation, getting a little bit more power out of the brakes. I said earlier, I think I would be happy to ride that Polygon Siskiyou for a couple years the way it is and just replace stuff as it wears out. I was impressed by that bike for sure. Good job, Polygon. Yeah, yeah, really good job. So, I mean, just to wrap it up then, what are your big picture impressions of the, of the, what's the state of the sport on value bikes these days? Like, did you come back from riding these 10 bikes back to back to back thinking, wow, like, product managers are nailing it these brands are getting they're doing the right things for for people the people looking at these bikes or yeah are they having to make too many compromises what, what are you guys feeling about the category i don't think the category has changed at all since kaz and i last did the value bike field trip down in sedona last year um kaz and i complained about brakes that maybe weren't quite up to par and we complained about crappy ergonomics and I think that's still the case with these bikes. Stop you right there. Tons of things have changed. Shimano actually has drivetrains on, on bikes now. And mm -hmm. some of those brakes were even designed around a single finger. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like SX or NX holds people back. Like, yeah, of course, the Dior and the SLX stuff, it shifts better. There's, mm -hmm. That's just fact. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if we're talking like... Like things that need changing or stuff that doesn't work. It is still brakes and it's still not great ergonomics, especially when you're combining a shifter and a brake lever from two different companies. And I, I understand when you're a product manager and specking a bike at a relatively low price point. I mean, maybe that means that you do have to go to a different company. We've seen, we see Tektro on some of these bikes for brakes. Um, and the companies don't talk to each other about these things. So of course they're not going to work super well together, but yeah, still the same complaints for sure. Hmm. How do you feel about the geometry side? Um, are we seeing the age old, like, well, newcomers don't need modern geometry sort of adages being around or are these bikes contemporary? No, I think they're pretty contemporary, especially when you look at like the BMC, um, and some of these other bikes, like the Growler, I, I think the Polygon too, none of them are too out to lunch in any regard, I don't think, as far as geometry goes. Yeah. We always say geometry's free. It's I don't think it's actually free. Pretty but, much though. Well, yeah. Um so yeah, so still the same complaints. Just just breaks and ergos. Sarah, agree, disagree. I mean, I didn't ride the value bikes the last time around so this is kind of my first time spending as much time on all of the 10 different bikes and i mean i was surprised that there are 
wait, I, I have to say this without sounding like it's not, but that, you know, you can get into mountain biking and have a lot of fun for, you know, everybody always complains that it is an expensive sport and it is, but you can still get into it for not as well, I mean, it's still more expensive than running and whatever, basketball, that kind of thing. But you can still get into it for $2,000 or less and have a good bike and have fun. The barriers to entry are way lower today than they have ever been. That's a nice way of putting it. I like it. <laughs> but before we move on, I also want to mention forks as well, because I think we talked about them a fair bit. And they were a big factor in these value bike reviews. And it's a huge price to to change a fork to upgrade a fork mm. um, and on a handful of these bikes we were definitely a little let down with the fork's performance rear suspension things get hidden by leverage ratios you know the the little shocks work just fine you know who cares they, they, they they're all great for the most part on the back um, but it's different up front so that is something to keep in mind for sure hmm. all right should we move on to comment gold i think that's a great idea. Enough value bike talk. Uh, Comment Gold, our first one, it's from Savage Lake. This is on the previous podcast. You guys talked about the myths, myths of mountain biking. Savage Lake commented, I myth being able to find parts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Savage Lake, good one. <laughs> Pretty solid. I just, I think of the Mike Tyson meme with the, with the two pigeons. Now, Kith, uh, Kith. <laughs> Mike Levy is so, a very, but, very big Mike Tyson fan. Just FYI, everybody. Yeah. Uh, so this one is on the X Games Real MTB judging article, and it's from Megatrion. He says, Braga got norbed. I, th I think he did get norbed, personally. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> that was the most ridiculous video segment. <laughs> Does anybody remember who won the year norbs got robbed? The person that deserved to win, I think. I can't yeah, remember. I agree. But, yeah. Yeah. but nobody yeah. remembers who it was. Or something? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody, won't, nobody remembers. So maybe maybe this is all going to work out for Braga in the long run. Just the infamy of not winning. Can Braga go to Rampage? Is he, I, he go. I fucking hope he goes to Rampage. That's cool. He better have an invite after that. Yeah. Uh, next one. This is on Seb Stott's MTB Jargon article. Just Wacky. Is that Wacky? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh. He says, just wacky says, anti-squat, anti-rise, whatever happened to two gentlemen, pedal bob and break jack, the world is filled with posh, pretentious bastards, he says. Kaz, is anti-rise and anti-squat, are they the same as pedal bob and break jack? They're not, but they're kind of the new terms that people throw around to yeah. sound fancy talking about suspension. It used to be, you know, the early days of sport, you know, everything was break jack and then that kind of went away. Yeah, the thing that so, wasn't what, a thing. Brake deck yeah, especially a, wasn't a thing. Whereas pedal bob is a symptom. Anti squat is one of the factors in that symptom. VT Volk says nothing but toady croaks of an obsessive sycophant shamelessly licking the boots of the boutique brands and washing it down with gulps of their internal routing Kool Aid. That's quite the sentence there, VT Volk. You get extra points for using Henry's little handy little guide at the yeah. at the start of the article. Yeah. All right, everybody, that is it for podcast number 59, the Value Bike Field Trip Wrap-Up. Make sure to like and subscribe. Stay tuned for episode number 60 when we're talking about UFOs. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.